Hello everyone, and welcome to the Renwick Centre podcast. Today in this episode, we speak to a return guest, Andrew Spencer, who is the Manager of Library and Information Services at the RIDPC Renwick Centre Library about evidence-based practice and its importance to a variety of audiences. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Renwick Centre podcast for another session and we have a favourite with us this morning, Andrew Spencer. So for those who haven't met you before, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yes, certainly Trudy. I'm the Manager of Library and Information Services here at the Renwick Centre Library. So we provide library support to all RIDBC staff across all the 20 sites across Australia. So we've got a collection of books they can come and access, we can send journal articles, um, do database and literature searches, all that sort of thing. Excellent. And literature and database searching is probably a little bit that we're going to touch on today because our topic is evidence-based practice. Now, so hot right now, this term, but what does it actually mean? Well, it came about in, from the medical field, so in the, the 1990s, um, and since then it's certainly expanded to cover a range of other professions, so a lot of um, allied health professions, nursing, uh, education, even librarianship. Um, so it's based on the idea that decisions that professionals make should be based on integrating both their professional judgment and their knowledge and expertise, the perspectives of the client or the family that they're working with, with the best available evidence that's out there. So the evidence can take a couple of different forms. It can be research-based, so as you were saying before, doing literature searches, looking databases, seeing what's been published out there. But it can be practitioner-observed, so it doesn't. Have, it can be something that the practitioner themselves can do. You know, run a survey, um, collect data that way. It doesn't have to be a, a full-blown, you know, big literature review to try and um, gather that evidence. Would you call that experience-based? You could probably put it as a bit of a, a flavour mm-hmm. towards um, evidence-based practice, which I'll now abbreviate as EBP going forward. So yep. that, that will be the um, acronym I'll be going with. I guess the key with the with EBP is that it's the best available evidence. So if there haven't been any studies published or written in you know the particular area you're looking at, then yes, you will have to do your own um, observed research mm-hmm. to try and collect that evidence. Sure. Um, so in areas like education or allied health, those sort of things could be um, doing an assessment of a, a student or a, a client, um, just you know, to see where they're up to as far as their level of learning or their level of function, and then maybe then go to the research to see, okay, in other you know, similar cases, what have other professionals done? What sort of interventions, teaching strategies have they introduced um, to you know, help you know, students and, and clients like that? Once the intervention has been decided on, you've put it in place, the final part is just to follow up. So you need to see, you know, has it been effective and, um, and then you know, collect further evidence on you know, how the student or client has progressed sure. from there. So is there, is there like a set process that you can follow or is it you know, just give it a best try? I'm, I'm sure that given that it's been around since the 90s, there's a structure now that sort of there most has people been. follow? It's fairly... Um, there are kind of different models, um, different flavours depending on which branch. So evidence-based medicine is slightly different to evidence-based librarianship, for example. Sure. But the basic process boils down to probably five main steps mm-hmm. that you um, need to, to look at. So the first one is to ask the question. So you need to have a nice focused question that, uh, that you want to answer. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be nice and specific so that when you're going and looking for the evidence, you know what sort of evidence you're looking for. 
Uh, can't be sort of too broad, so you sort of go off and start getting tangents and you know, information that's not relevant to what you know, to your situation. Um, that's the other part of evidence-based practice is using your professional judgment. So it's not solely based on the evidence. It's not very, it doesn't have to be prescriptive in that, okay, this has worked before, therefore it will work for me. Mm-hmm. You need to use your own judgment uh, sure. when it comes to that. So part of that having the question is... Um, yeah, knowing that you're getting the right sort of evidence. Yep. So it's almost like a smart goal, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, timely. Um, And there are um, frameworks like SMART for goals. Probably the two most common that come up are PICO. So P-I-C-O is a common framework for evidence-based practice, probably more in the medical field um, because it looks specifically at interventions and outcomes. Um, SPICE is another one that gets used. Um, so what, what does SPICE stand for? Here's the test. Okay. Um, Specifics? Um, SPICE is the setting, the perspective, the intervention, I think it's comparison, and evaluation. Mm-hmm. So it throws in those you know, steps, it works you through the, the different steps. And then PICO is patient or population, intervention, intervention. comparison, outcome. Mm-hmm. So very similar sort of processes. Um, Basically, you need to have an understanding of the population that you're interested in, what sort of therapy or treatment you're looking at to use um, or evaluate, what are the outcomes that you want to measure. And sometimes there might be a bit of trial and error in coming up with the question. It can be sometimes tricky to boil mm-hmm. it down just to the nitty gritty of, yep. you know, okay, what is it that you're looking for? Um, you don't want to make it too specific, otherwise you might not find anything because your search is quite focused. Um, so reducing the number of variables to sort of a, as, as clean a question as you nice can. Nice and clean. Um, so an example one could be um, are patients with aphasia who received speech-language pathology services shortly after their stroke more or less likely to achieve functional communication abilities than stroke patients who receive such treatments later? And you can hear the comparison in that question. So you can hear the nicely audience. outline the population, um, yeah, patients with aphasia caused by stroke, the intervention, so it's around, is it the timing of the intervention? That, so it's comparing early versus late intervention and functional communication abilities as an outcome. Yep. So that's Beautiful. sort of the, the basic. Okay, I've got my nice clean question. Mm-hmm. What do I do then? The next step is to go out and acquire the evidence. Mm-hmm. So this is where you're looking for the highest quality and most appropriate evidence that will help answer the question. The highest quality? How do you make that judgment? That, again, is down to the, your own professional judgment. Um, ideally, a lot of the medical background of evidence-based practice relies on randomised controlled trials. So thousands of pop, um, people, double-blind, placebo-controlled, all that sort of thing, which doesn't usually very, happen very much in education, sort of education <laughs> allied <laughs> health. Not. Maybe in allied health might get some, True. but education, yeah, certainly it's, yeah doing mass RCTs, no, it's hard to be able to to do that sort of level of um, of study. But yeah, so highest quality just pretty much boils down to the question. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be as simple as, you know, whatever you can observe. So it doesn't have to be the research-based evidence. Um, If there is no research evidence, then whatever else you can gather Mm -hmm. is sort of, you know, the best quality uh, that you can get. So part of it could be the first step, I guess, running uh, running a, a literature search, mm-hmm. um, perhaps with the assistance of your friendly librarian, um, maybe um, consulting with colleagues mm-hmm. as well. Um, 
doing surveys of you know students and clients. Um, yeah, I would even intervene if you're part of a, a, an association, a professional yep. association, contacting them and seeing if they have information they so can it, share or so ideas. Yeah, for um, or often, yeah, gui- there might be um, even guidelines available already mm-hmm. um, yep. on you know treating or um, you know, managing particular students or clients. So no need to reinvent the wheel. If it's out there, um, sure. use it. Um, that's the whole idea, I guess, behind EBP is looking to try and find what has worked elsewhere and seeing if it's going to work for you. Yep. So you've got this big collection of data. Then, as you said, you have to appraise it and make sure that it's yes. quality and that it's that's, actually going to... And that's, yeah, you need, yeah, all well and good to go and collect all this information. But you then sort of need to step back and appraise it as well and evaluate its quality. Um, so, there are, again, several tools to help with this sort of thing. Often they're checklists. Mm-hmm. So to go through, okay, if you're you know, looking at a... If you are lucky enough to stumble across a randomised controlled trial, um, what you know these are the criteria you're looking for. What makes a good mm-hmm. trial? You know, um, were the patients? Um, it was the, the blinding process, so that you know no one knows who's getting the treatment and the placebo, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, you know, what sort of protocols were followed as, as far as that goes? Um, were the methods valid? Are the results valid? So, doing a bit of a critique of you know the process behind the research to mm-hmm. see, okay, is it actually worthwhile and at the end always keeping in the back of your mind are these results going to be applicable to my situation so the the students in my class or the the patient or family that I'm seeing it's yeah all about keeping that as the the key thing because I imagine when you acquire a lot of evidence it would feel a bit like going down the rabbit hole you yes it can Um, so it's always good to keep it grounded um, with these the checklists and um, a nice structured approach to yeah try and keep everything focused. I was like, okay, yes, this seemed relevant at the time. It looks okay, but when you go through and you know give it a bit of a critique and a once over, it's okay. Maybe it's not quite right. So it's you know I don't have to. You know, it's something I can yeah, not worry about. Yeah, um, if you need to. So as part of my appraisal process, am I trying to kind of put it into categories of of information around most applicable, most credible? Usually it's, um, the checklists have a combination of both. So it's kind of looking more at the overall um, quality, I suppose, of the, the evidence that you're, you're coming across. Um, so usually there'll be different sections depending on you know, validity or reliability. Um, so you can kind of get a, a, an idea of the different qualities across you know, those various um, domains, I suppose. So it's yeah, all about just looking at it fairly broadly as well so looking at different aspects of it to try and make sure that it is you know the best available that, that's out there yeah okay i've got my i've worked out what i'm going to follow what do i do then i guess this is the kind of the fun bit and what it all comes down to <laughs> uh, is actually applying the evidence so yes you've gone through you've collected it all you've decided yep evaluate based on the appraisal you know this is you know the sound evidence that i can use to go forward and inform the um, teaching strategies or the, the treatment or therapy that I'm going to be providing um, for this situation. So again, it's, I keep coming back to it, but it's, it's a professional judgment. Um, I think that's one of the, um, the criticisms of EBP is that some people see that as very prescriptive. Okay, you just solely base it on the literature um, and it's, you know, if it's worked here, then it'll work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it does, the other side of it is including that professional judgment. Um, yeah, it can't all be done. Yeah, everyone's different, populations are different, patients are different. Yep. Um, so it always needs to come back and be informed by you know, the professional and, and the situation. There's no formula for 
getting, quote, enough evidence. Mm -hmm. um, again, you need to take the situation into account, both you know, your judgment, the situation of the uh, student or client that you're trying to help. Um, and yeah, you sort of get in and okay, see, see if it makes a difference. Yep. Um, after all the trouble of finding the evidence, evaluating it, um, now you get to yeah, put it into place and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, and put it in place. And you say, see what happens. How do you assess the effects of your intervention based well, on the evidence? Well, yeah, the final step is yeah, some sort of evaluation. Um, I guess in a an educational or um, health um, situation, a pre and post test. So you do an assessment, say for you know for a student, yep. um, some sort of standardised assessment before the intervention. Do the intervention, run the same assessment six months, three months, whatever you think would be an appropriate time frame, or maybe what the evidence has said is a suitable time frame for following up, run the assessment again, and then you know, evaluate the difference in the, the student's performance. Presumably right. there's been an improvement. Write it up and add to the evidence. And that's always, yes, the other, to, to finish it off, is to yeah, assist other professionals, uh, particularly if you found it difficult yourself to find some evidence, mm -hmm. um, being able to put back in um, and you know, add to the, the evidence base, again, is an important part of you know, doing evidence-based practice. Absolutely. And if you're considering doing study and research, you should absolutely come and talk to the Rennick Centre about how we can support you with that. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I guess on the flip side, um, well, even if perhaps the intervention doesn't work as you expected or the results aren't as good, maybe that then triggers another question. Mm -hmm. So it very much it can be... It feels quite, very cyclic. It is. So you can go through, yeah, even if it does work, it's like, okay, great, this works. Maybe I've got another student older, younger, slightly different situation, can I you know, go through the same process again? So it's very much cyclical based on you know, the evaluation at the end. If it generates another question, you know, construct another nice, nicely structured yeah. question and yeah, go on the, the search again. As all good professionals should. So what are the benefits of EBP? Probably the main one is that it's a good way of being able to justify the um, educational strategies or the treatment um, that you're providing because you've gone through and determined, okay, there's some rigour behind what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're doing an NDIS plan, this is why I believe this intervention is necessary. Yep. Plans for a mm -hmm. student that's yep. individual to their peers. This is why we're doing this. Yep. These strategies. It's not just yeah something that's you know, we've plucked out of thin air or it's you know, the flavour of the month, so mm -hmm. we'll go along with it. Um, we've taken the time to sit down, evaluate, you know, and decide what the, the best evidence is for you know, going a, down this path. I, the, this can be tricky, I guess, in, if it involves sometimes challenging the status quo and the, you know, we've always done it this way, um, approach that you know, sometimes can, um, can be there. But the way of justifying it is that it usually would, should result in higher quality services being provided because it's based on you know, the experience of others integrated with you know, the local situation, so you're kind of getting that customised but um, you know, based on you know, real world other experience um, as well. So it, yeah, it provides evidence that you can provide to um, either your management or you know, the patients, students, um, you know, families that you're working with to say, okay, this is what we're doing and this is why. Mm -hmm. um, so, Keeping everyone involved as part of the yep. um, the process, so you know, involving the um, everyone, um, 
where I used to work, the Children's Hospital at Westmead, um, involving parents, carers, families in the decision-making process was a big thing. Yes. So being able to keep them informed and you know, tell mm-hmm. them why, you know, you're going deciding to do this this type and of treatment. surely referring to research rather than look it feels like a good idea yeah families are more likely to get on board with the and it's, yeah. research-based ideas I mean the gut feel can be a good place to start mm-hmm. that might trigger the question you've got this gut feeling that I think this is the best way to deal with this particular student or patient yeah so then you go off find the evidence and Work nine times out of the ten it probably will make a um, difference yeah make a difference and yeah, the gut instinct was okay. It was right, mm-hmm. but now I've got research. But to now you can it. you can feel a bit more confident in yeah, <laughs> going forward. Well, I guess that also is when you when it's worked for you, sharing it with colleagues, you've got that research base behind you yep. to explain yes, definitely as well. It's not just my gut says, See, and I was lucky and it worked. It happened to work this time. Yeah, um, but yeah, being able to have that yeah evidence behind it to sure um, yeah help as well. So you've been talking about a range of resources. Um, checklists yep. and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Are there things that we can look at or refer to when we're doing this? Certainly, yeah. Um, I'll put some up on the, I'll, yeah, provide some to you, Trudy, to put up on the, the page. So links to various um, providers, mm-hmm. um, professional organisations that have information on evidence-based practice, um, both from an educational and allied health perspective. Um, so ASHA, They've got some information there, so I can yeah, put some links up. Um, Great. As well as there are online training modules and things as well mm-hmm. um, that are available to yeah, sort of step people through the process, um, either all at once or if there's you know, a particular part of the, the process you need some more help with or want to find out more about, you can yeah, jump in and have a look at those. Fantastic. So much um, to think about in, in this process and, and going forward. And I think you've given us a really clear um, plan to follow now. It's got, yeah, it is... It can seem daunting, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't have to be a big exercise in you know, spending months doing literature search. Um, although, as you said, if you then want to change that, move that into a, a research degree, a master's by research or you know, um, a PhD. Um, Come and talk to us. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be on that scale. Um, sure. It can be yeah, small, manageable, th- you know, that can be done yeah, just on a, a small scale yep. as well. And your first podcast for us, you talked about how we can use the library as a resource for supporting that. So if there's something that you're thinking about, definitely encourage you to go and listen to Andrew's first podcast Mm -hmm. if you haven't already, because there's great advice in there about how to access some of this information as well. So another fantastically helpful uh, session, Andrew. So thanks so much for your time. No worries, Drew. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. A huge thank you to Andrew for taking the time out to speak with us today. Regarding the links that Andrew referred to in his interview with Trudy, we will include these as a downloadable link within the Podbean listing of this podcast and within the iTunes listing of this podcast.